0: Welcome to the Data Rockstars Coffee Podcast with me, Kelly
1: Peters. And me, Regina Jonas. This week, we have found some really interesting stories and we are talking about data related to both behaviour and football. As you know, Kelly and I are both big football fans and we watched a documentary that was on the BBC last week, Mm. which caught our attention, about Paul Merson and his gambling addiction, how that relates to football. And at the same time, there was a new story released about how footballers' data is used by companies beyond the realm of their own football club, mm. one of which is betting companies, and we thought mm. there's probably quite a nice tie-up there to sort of explore some of the data issues that were raised within both the documentary and the articles we were reading.
0: Yeah, and I think, just as you were just doing that intro, I think the other common theme is individual right? Because I start off with that, it, Paul Merson documentary was fascinating to, to listen to. And one of the things I found really interesting about him is he really was trying to understand what makes him an addict when it comes to gambling. So what are the influences? So, you know, one of those areas that he explored was how betting companies use information about individuals who have accounts with them online in terms of what information do they know about you. So he yes. was sat down with an, uh, another individual who was really trying to raise the profile of this. And what I liked was this guy knew someone who'd put in a subject access request to say, I really want to know from a betting company, what do you know about me? And it was staggering the sheer amount of paper that was pulled out. And there were 90, that's right, nine zero data on this one individual about their behaviours, how they interacted with the site, where they went afterwards in terms of how cookies were being used, how they categorised individual in terms of, you know, you're a um, a win back.
1: So
0: you're constantly going to try and win the money back that you've lost.
1: Obviously then for betting companies is a helpful insight in terms of obviously understanding their customers but giving that kind of insight into somebody's personality around their propensity to try and win back the money that they spent, obviously then that means they're probably going to spend more money because they're constantly chasing what they're losing.
0: Yeah, it was interesting as I was watching that, and I apologise, I'm going to take a slight sidestep, is that if you've ever played any online game, you know, i play quite a few silly little online games, Mm -hmm. uh, there's always that kind of trigger to buy a couple of more lives you know, pay me 79 P and you'll get this amount to help you get to this level. Now, you know, that's small amounts of money, but can add up quite significantly if you invest in that, but there's always that prompt to buy now. What Mm -hmm. about this? And what was interesting was they talked about the kind of advertising that goes on. And I think that's within platforms as well as actually on TV, where it's that kind of, you know, get 10 pounds worth, pay 10 pounds and you'll get 20 pounds additional back. So it's incentivizing people and you yeah. know that from the data it's helping them drive their marketing and advertising campaigns
1: no absolutely and i think it's um there are obviously you know people from again from the, the documentary it demonstrated their brains are wired slightly differently oh. so that actually what gives them that pleasure response and that good feedback and that feeling of, of excitement is the winning it's the gambling and and that can be triggered by those images and so you know i was I was watching it and thinking, for somebody who's played football like Paul Paul Merson, that's been his life, to then every game you're watching be bombarded because it is bombardment with yeah, yeah. betting advertising must be such a hard process to endure because how do you watch a game and step away from the troubles of of your addiction when you're then constantly seeing those images that are triggering that that response? And yeah. again, it will be sort of data that will feed into that of knowing, their key demographic markets are going Mm. to be young men watching it and they know that what's going to try and engage them in placing bet it does terrify me when you look at watch football the number of different things that you can bet on time of first corner when yeah. the next corner is going to be when the next throw-in is going to be all of these things you know like, it's not just as simple as you know spurs are going to be arsenal 2-1 i wish um you know it's it, it's like and you know for the record i would never bet money on tottenham because it's hard enough watching them lose without losing money as well, well played. But, <laughs> but you know it, the change was interesting because it was that Instead of having to walk into a bookie's and make a decision that you're going to actively, physically get up, go somewhere and do something. It's there on your phone. And then there's a whole insight into that profiling and Mm -hmm. behavioural insight that's available. Through technology, computer, phones, apps, that allows those organizations to really understand and target people if they want to. Obviously, there were statements at the end of the documentary that said that they didn't use data in in that way necessarily. But there's also the opportunity to try and use it for good and prevent people from getting themselves into that position. And I think they made a really good point that so much of it is on the individual to stop themselves. But actually, if they put in place blockers, they can, you know, take them off. You know, it's very easily controlled by the individual, whereas that element of advertising, marketing, You know, because it don't if you're using cookies, it won't just be in app, it'll be as other websites you go to because they'll know that you're signed up to various different platforms that that facilitate betting and then they'll be advertising to you on all the other websites you're going to because of the cookies that you've got on your, your system. So Yeah,
0: I mean to be fair, the other point that I thought they made was really well was and it was at the end in terms of when you read all the kind of the text that was coming up from the kind of the betting industry about what they've put in place. It was that actually a significant number of people can bet reasonably they'll do a flutter they will not get addicted and this program was trying to i think understand betting behavior within an individual and i thought what was interesting is there has to be some kind of happy medium because those that are addicted will be in the smaller minority but the impact on their lives and the decisions that they might make when it goes very wrong are actually really tragic yes Uh, and that was very portrayed um in that and it's tragic not just to the individual but to the family that are then affected by you know typically by suicide because they they just can't cope anymore and i thought that was very well put across in, Mm. in that actually yes i think they There are lots of measures that have been put in place to warn people about betting, But with the amount of data that is now collected on these individuals, surely you're able to know the higher risk individuals by their behaviour and their kind of addiction from that profile to then think, what else could we do to help that individual or prevent them going and spiralling out of control? Because there was no doubt that Paul Merson put across a very emotional position, which I, you know, I felt was very genuine. That saying, you know, this is a daily addiction that I'm trying to manage. I don't put this in me. This is something that is being triggered. It's and and it's a it's a challenge. And you know, he said he'd left, he'd lost like seven million pounds, which is phenomenal. At, at it of really time. is. But I wonder if there is something, if there's a more ethical challenge, that the betting industry should take on board when it comes to those more highly vulnerable individuals.
1: Absolutely. And I think there's, from what they were saying, there's some very clear indicators. There was one of the individuals that they were talking to had made something like two and a half thousand deposits in a year, financial deposits. And that added up to something, I think, Paul Mercer did the maths much more quickly than I could, but I think it worked out something like seven deposits a day. But it was, you know, when you think about how much that is, money that was going in and it was always big chunks of money, then Mm. those are indicators that something isn't right, I would suggest, and that the action should then be taken.
0: And then, you know, because I think we could talk about this for for quite some time, I'd urge everybody to watch it because it's not just about football, it's that concept of addiction and behaviour, which is really interesting. So that leads us nicely onto the um, other story that both you and I saw on the BBC website where a cohort of footballers, which I think is about 850 players in total, are seeking compensation about the use or what they class as the misuse of their information. Mm -hmm. Now, we have talked about this in the past because we got quite excited by the concept of footballer. And I talked about Kevin De Bruyne being able to renegotiate his contract using the data and the impact that he had on the field to up his salary negotiations. What these players are saying is that their data is being used without their agreement, so without their consent, it's being Mm -hmm. shared with industry and it's being used without their permission on a whole variety of factors, including, you know, behaviour, weight, performance, metrics and everything. And they're like, actually, no, we want to challenge you on this because we don't think it's fair. And they're using GDPR as their mechanism to challenge that. And if they're successful, it could really change the way in which their data is used.
1: I thought it was really fascinating some of the points they picked up on. There was a meeting that some Cardiff technology-based firm accompanied um, Cardiff ex Cardiff City player, I think it is, who, who's leading the co- sort of cohort of players. He said within that meeting, who does the data belong to? And the other company, technology company that was uh, with the the ex football player, indicated actually no the data belongs to the players and i think that's always an interesting conversation because companies will assume that they own the data and if it's about individuals it's it's not it's very much data about individuals belongs to those individuals themselves and the other element i thought that was really interesting was the fact that some of it is inaccurate so from the principle of data protection around accuracy and making sure data is up to date some of that information that's being held simple information, somebody's height they referred to was, was recorded incorrectly. So that actually could have an impact on their playing prospect in potentially other countries because they made the point that potentially Premier League players and maybe Championship players are not so much affected by this because of their nature of their profile. They're more likely to get licensing. So things like, you know, the FIFA games and the football games that are using the information to make it accurate in terms of and realistic. Actually, the licensing then does Potentially go down through the clubs and/or to the players, but when you get to the lower leagues, and obviously money isn't flowing through them as much, you know they may be disproportionately affected because the club that might be interested in buying that individual sees incorrect information and says, "Well, actually, you know, I assume that they would want a taller player because they indicated he was recorded as five foot seven and actually was taller." If they're looking for a tall, you know, striker who you know they want to head the ball into the net and be there on the end of corners, they're not going to go for a five foot seven. Who might be more on the wing and you know bringing in sort of the opportunities and actually then that incorrect data is having a direct impact on that individual and their career prospects and they don't have any recourse to actually get that corrected because who do they go to they don't know who it's being shared with where you know the, the range of companies it's being shared with and obviously that goes right against one of the fundamental principles of, of GDPR that data has to be accurate and i think it's some of those other principles that have been drawn into this which makes it really interesting
0: yeah no i think so they, i think from what i read of it they weren't like, against it as long as they got recognised that they have a right over their data and they, they want some recompense for its use. And obviously, like you said, making sure that it is accurate, especially if it has an impact. Do you um, think that it?
1: that could bring about a wider conversation? Because obviously, you know, it's information that's profiled about these individuals, their behaviour, how their performance, and obviously it's very public. It informs mm. betting companies about odds, you know, as talked about the computer games, potentially, you know, fantasy people... Football. Fantasy football, (laughs) you know, (laughs) all those potentially, and and clubs looking at performance of players Uh externally to see who do they want to scout by. And if they feel they should be recompensed for their data being used by other companies, do you think that's something that potentially individuals more widely across the board are going to look to? try and exercise that control over their data in that actually if companies are profiteering and making money from data about us as individuals at what point should we be recompensed for that and actually if we're recompensed for it do we then feel that um, that's okay in how they use and choose to use our data and do we lose some freedoms from that and right. I know that certainly in developing countries there's a little bit of a fear that if the people where data systems are coming on board and some companies are offering to pay people for data, there could then be an ethical use of that because people will feel obliged to share information that they otherwise wouldn't really want to without necessarily fully realising the impact that that could have then on future decisions that are made about them, which obviously is another whole podcast probably in itself (laughs) yeah i mean
0: and i realize we're running out of time so i'll answer that quickly i think the answer is yes because the article alluded to the fact that there are other ind other sports are looking at this as well so it's not football in isolation other sports and sports people are looking to challenge the use of their data for this so i think it's watch this space and let's really see what this legal case comes out with because it could be quite profound
1: excellent well another interesting and exciting podcast to discuss i think it's you know that was another really interesting session to talk through some of you know details that are really interesting for us and hopefully for our listeners as well data in the world of sport may well impact the rest of us at some point as well and how we can control the use of of our data and hold companies to account if they're using it in ways that we're not happy with so if you spot any interesting stories that are related to data that you think you'd like us to explore the the ideas behind please do get in touch with us on coffee at dbxuk.com thanks as always for listening we hope you found it interesting and do join us next week for more insight into the world of data and data protection